0: Let's broaden our minds, Lawrence.
1: From the Ancient One Studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome to the Cube. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 94 of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer podcast. I'm your host, Dan. And I'm Brendan. Yes, Brendan, we are going to talk about being back at the big game. We both made it to Adepticon, had a great time, and we're going to talk about that. And then there's a couple of little things we're just going to briefly talk about. And what are those?
2: We have the Adepticon previews and the Arena of Shades. Yes. Uh, You know, it's not the real full book, but, you know, the War Scrolls and everything in it, those have been revealed. So we'll talk about that kind of on a cursory level because obviously quite a bit more, you know, can be made of those when the full books are out. And, of course, (laughs) the Adepticon recap as a whole between your four days and my four days.
1: Sure. And that'll keep us busy, I think, for a while. All good.
2: You know, just just a couple minutes. <laughs> yeah,
1: for sure. All right, bud. With that, we're gonna move on to Whispers from the Warp. Hello. My
0: name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father.
1: Prepare to die. So, Brendan and Dan hobby time.
2: So I finished up my Legion of Night stuff for Adepticon in the pre Adepticon items. Yep. And yep. then post-Adepticon, I've been working on my Sylvaneth for Vault Wars. Oh,
1: yeah, that's right. Yes, yeah. yes, yes.
2: I've painted four Kurnoth Hunters. I've gotten pretty much all of the models built that I needed built. And you know, we're just plugging away because I plan on playing it at Rubicon. Now, mm-hmm. there's not a paint requirement at Rubicon. Right. But I'd like to have as much painted as I can. Sure. You know, I've gotten quite accustomed to playing painted games and I like to keep that going.
1: Yeah, I hear you. I hear you, man. Well, you got another week, you might be able to knock some got, stuff out.
2: It'll be tough to get it done in a week, but I'll certainly have most of it, which is really all I can ask for. Considering that without any of this, I'd be looking at a largely unpainted force. So, yeah, progress is progress.
1: Yeah, true. You know, once you get the paint on the fig, it counts. So, that is true. Anything else hobby related that you've been doing, or.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, just painting and building a trees. Okay. Building trees. Okay. Good, good. Yeah, for me, it's just been, you know, once I got home, we're still doing some unpacking and stuff and trying to, you know, help Cindy out with all the house stuff and getting all that fixed up. And But I did finally open my Nagash box because he is kind of my top priority right now man, there's a lot of sprues, like a lot of detail in the sprues, and a lot of detail on the model, and I was looking at it and I'm going like, you know, I may have to, because it's been a while since I've actually painted a model on the sprues but there is just so much stuff and the way you have to build him, it's really hard to get access to some of that stuff once he's glued together. You know, really tough to do, because you got to get the backside of stuff and you want to make sure the model looks good from all angles. I think I'm going to end up doing that, is I'll end up priming him on the sprues and then doing individual work like on the books there's a lot of detail on the weapons and you know on his face and they're just everywhere there's just a lot a lot of detail so I'm gonna probably end up doing that it's gonna take me a little more time so that'll probably start this coming week so I'm gonna have to figure out where I'm gonna prime because I don't know how happy people are gonna be with me doing that in the basement (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Once I get that done, I'll be able to get going on him and, and have him done. All right, man. That's hobby, I guess. And then pre-orders. Uh, we got Arena Shades. Obviously, yesterday went on pre-order. A lot more Aldari Dari stuff. A lot of individual uh, models. The avatar and then there's a few marine thingies i think there's a couple speeders a couple other things but mostly aldari stuff on the 40k side that's pretty much it for pre-orders and of course april fools or not it appears we got a really cool two minute video about squats on the 40k side and votan whatever yeah the, the sons of votan and looks like it's for real it's not just the April Fool's thing everybody thought it was going to be. If it is still real, I'm still not quite convinced. Even though there's a model that came out, that's that's a pretty good indicator. But even if it's not, I think it's cool that they're you know bringing that back. And they there has not been a new faction in 40k forever. That would be pretty it's not fun. A yeah, and yeah, who knows what it's going to be or what it's going to look like? It'll just be fun. I know that much, and people have a lot of fun with it. So it'll be gobs and gobs of discussion with the squats coming back and then arena shades like the first look on this i want to be positive obviously as a night haunt player so i'm just going to kind of you know sigh and just say let's just see what's in the book because we have no context as we talked about before and without context you really can't judge units because we could take an example of that in a lot of places, that if you just take the war scroll standing in a book on a page, it doesn't really tell you the story of the unit. I'm just gonna wait and see. So, and we'll talk about it, like you said, a little bit more detail in uh, Emperor Lies. So, moving on to games played for us, we actually, while I was at uh, Adepticon, I had, I'm gonna talk about it by hooked up with the guys from the basement of death. We had gotten together and I checked in on them and I asked them for some recommendations. And one of the games they had recommended was Lord of the Rings, the board game. I'd never really heard of it before. I actually got to see it played a couple of times over the weekend. So I made the investment. It's sitting here in the office. And I think it's something that Cindy and I are going to try. I gave it a go through pretty interesting mechanics. It's card mechanics more than anything else. It seems a lot less complex than Gloomhaven. Like Gloomhaven, anybody who's played it or seen it knows there are just mounds and mounds of little counters and, you know, bits and bobs and stuff. And this game has some of that, but it's not nearly as much. It really focuses on the card decks. So, And there's also an app that you use, which is really cool. It kind of lays the map out for you and tells you where to put counters and just neat interaction. The app isn't like running the game, but it's helping you play it, which is a big difference from some that go with games. So I'm looking forward to us getting some time playing that. That'll be kind of cool. That's the only other thing besides uh, Sigmar I've done. How about you?
2: Playing... The Wasteland 3, picking up the—trying oh, uh, to finish this other bit of DLC here. My thoughts have really not changed. I am still uh-huh. very frustrated by it, and do- I don't think it was their best work.
0: Okay. All right. So
2: we're getting closer. We're we're going to try and probably finish up that bit of DLC you know, here today after we record so we can close out that game and Good. figure out whatever's next.
1: Coolio, I don't think you've gotten any Sigmar this past week. Uh, I know I haven't.
2: I plan on getting some in here as as we go.
1: Yeah, yeah. Hopefully this coming week. I hope we can get a game in this coming week, which should be really good later in the week. Getting me warmed up.
2: Practice before Spring Rubicon. Yeah,
1: yeah, we got that coming up. Speaking of events
2: ladies list.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> both of us we need to get some table time. And speaking of events, we do have Spring Rubicon coming up on Saturday, so it's a little less than a week away. It was cool to actually send a list to an event like that. Something that's local, and as you said before, it's so cool. First of all, it's close for both of us, but the second thing is it starts at 10. I can sleep in to like 8.30 and still make it in plenty of time. It's yeah, so I, neat. yeah, it's so one cool. A
2: day in which I don't have to wake up at 6 a.m. and get <laughs> home at 11 p.m., I'm very excited for yeah. it. Yeah,
1: and it was like, it's, I think this, the times that it goes to like 7 or something, it's like, I don't care. That's fine. Seven's cool eight's cool you know like you, you say that i can be home in like 15 minutes so it doesn't matter so i'm looking forward to that it'll be a lot of fun and meeting a lot of new people because i think you know some of the guys from that group don't you you've played them yeah, i've been on their show that'll be fun to meet a new group of local folks that can get to know and become part of the community as it were we have vault wars next month because it is april so the middle of May. We've talked about that down in Springfield in Missouri. We have atc for you. We have Meltdown, which is coming along. I've seen the list. There's only about 10 or 15 spots left, which is great because initially there weren't a lot of signups and it looks like they've picked up and that's really great. I saw that there was just an announcement for Nashcon for ticket sales to start.
2: Nashcon signups were April 1st. They're sold out. Uh, you no can
0: surprise.
2: email the TO to get on the waitlist. Yep. They have been able to open up more spots a bit closer to, you know, the actual date of, you know, when the event is going to be. Okay. You know, just cuz other events won't have filled up and they want to sell as much of the space as possible. Sure. That same weekend though, you really want to guarantee a spot. To a gaming event Siege World is that same weekend and tickets are available for it presently? Okay. That is in St. Louis, Missouri.
1: Yep. Great stuff. All right, so lots of stuff coming on. Uh, Is there anything other than that, other than the ones we mentioned? Is there any other little Uh, things or local things going on?
2: Not that I know of currently. The one-dayers typically end up getting scheduled a little bit more kind of out of the blue, I want to say. Okay. Or with a little less notice. All right. You know, We have some visibility all the way into October right now of the weekends for Dragonfall and Havoc, but that's October. But we'll talk about something six And a half months from now when we get to...
1: to (laughs) Of course. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, then. Wow. Quick whispers. Uh, We'll finish up there, and then we're going to move on to the Emperor Lies and talk about the big show, Adepticon.
0: Mm -hmm. What are we, a team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're we're a time bomb.
1: We're back with some Adepticon preview stuff, and we're just going to be real brief on this, and then we want to very briefly... We talked a little bit about Arena Shades, but just a little more comment. The big Kahuna thing at previews was the Horus Heresy is getting a reset, which is exciting for those people. I understand there was a massive ovation when they had the video come on and everybody is really, really excited who is into Heresy. Interestingly enough, I was sitting playing the one game I'm going to talk about, which is Witchborn, and J- our friend Jason Tickner stopped by, and we got to talk for a little bit, and it turns out there is some turnover in the Heresy main event, and Jason's going to move from player to T.O., and I'm really happy for him, excited that he's going to be able to get into that aspect of Heresy, because he's been a player forever, a real you know lorehound, and and it's really, really cool that he's even taken the step of moving over from Player. So I wish him luck with that. And I'm sure he'll do bang-up job with all that stuff. The other thing was we got a ghost ship for Night Haunt, which looks pretty coolio, of course. A guy with a giant oar. We don't know, of course, what it does or anything else. But again, hope reigns eternal. And I think it's an awesome model. And it'll be really, really fun to see what that turns out to be. Anything else? Majorly significant,
2: the underworld's yeah. warband that got previewed—you know, kind of the necromantic creatures of horror experiments that got mm. previewed—that was neat. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: kind of zombie, kind of people, and
2: yeah, you know, part tech. There's definitely some po- the, some folks that really don't like that kind of aesthetic in Age of Sigmar, where you know there's the technology elements added to it, and yeah. I get it. You know, if, if you want like a purely kind of high fantasy setting, yeah. then. Yeah, dudes with you know yellow and black agency <laughs> cabling is probably not your thing, but I really like when the designers go weird and then say mm, maybe a little more weird. <laughs>
0: sure,
1: I really that, like that. L- it
2: Creates uh, some you know really cool units and themes in Age of Sigmar that you don't always see in other game ranges.
1: It's a refresh, too. And there's never anything wrong with that. I also like the leader guy. He would make a really good Necromancer. Oh, agreed. Uh, So I'm thinking I'm going to get it just to get him so I can have him for a backup when I play my Soul Blight. That would be really cool to uh, have him running around the board as an alternative fig. Okay, then that is really the big things, I think, in previews. Arena of Shades, we talked a little bit about it. We got some really great stuff on the daughter's side. Why don't you talk about a couple of those things?
2: One of the really big things out of the Arena Shades that we saw in the preview components here is the gladiatrix. So that's the new Daughters of Cain hero, kind of meant to buff Sisters of Slaughter and and Witch Elves. She hands out an aura for units that are wholly within 12 inches of her that adds one to the two-wound characteristic of the whips. So that brings it from a four-up to a three-up which is very important because, as you remember, in Age of Sigmar, you can't be modified by more than plus one. So changing the base characteristic to a new profile level is pretty important, Yeah. especially when you combine it with the fact that witch elves get a benefit for being wholly within 12 inches of a hero,
0: Mm
2: -hmm. plus one to wound, which means that you're wounding on twos (laughs) Twos. with your whip. In addition, you're also picking up rend on your whips by being in that same aura. (laughs) So that's objectively good. I don't have the points in front of me, but I remember Mm. seeing it and thinking that all of it was very reasonable with no added context, right? You know, we don't have the command traits, we don't have battle traits, we don't have artifacts and things like that. I think it's relatively safe to say that the Daughters are going to retain very similar kind of blood rights table especially since we've seen number one the book get rewritten already Mm -hmm. and number two its closest comparison being deepkin got a rewrite for a very similar kind of table that remained largely the same
1: okay excellent on the night haunt side again i'm gonna reserve overall judgment here because we don't have context and i want to be hopeful i A couple of things, I think the Banshees have a lot of potential, the way they rewrote the anti-magic kind of rules. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting because before it was more about them, you know, and buffing them with their anti-magic. And now, I mean, Brendan, you can dispel a spell by just rolling the casting value or, you know, higher or higher than the cast. Is it higher than the casting value? I think it was. But, you know, you have something that has a casting value of five and you roll a six and you're done. You don't have to worry about what the caster did. You don't have to worry about the range. Your unit that you're doing this on only has to be at 12, you know, wholly within 12. That's pretty powerful.
2: It's basically Kragnos.
1: Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, and so that's really cool that they have that ability and they can also do something with endless spells, which is cool. Again, I'm hopeful with them. They may have a place. A little bit disappointed, again, just from what we saw for the Blade Geist in that they lost the, you know, re-rolls to hit if they're within range of a Spirit Torment. They still have their plus one attack if they charge. They still have the retreat and charge. They have those things. A little disappointed, as we've talked about before, that they didn't get some more reach being on those 32 mils. That's never a good thing if you only have one inch reach. We'll see if there's some other interactions we don't know about yet. The Spirit Torment and the Chain Gas, uh, that's really a weird... Change like they actually made the chain gas better, but the spirit torment isn't quite as good because he doesn't give that universal ones to re you know, ones to hit reroll. The chain gas are actually they're giving plus one attack, so yeah, that can be pretty powerful too. I mean, if you can add plus one attack to you know, big unit of chain rest or something, I can, they could have three attacks a piece. Man, a unit of 20 of them with 60 attacks. <laughs> Woof. You
0: can do it to them, Woof. you can do it to
1: Blade Geist. You can do it to Blade Geist, yeah, they, could, they could go. Up. Yeah, but you can give it to anybody. So it's right. just interesting okay. that it's not coming from the Torment, it's coming from the Chain Gas. So it's kind of like they're saying, if you're going to take one, you need to take the other. You know, it's it's does you does, have does to the take them. the Chain
2: Gas handout plus one to hit now instead of the reroll ones to hit?
1: No, I thought it was that they added one to the attack profile. We'll have to check that.
2: Did they give back... Plus one to hit
1: then. No, I don't believe so. I think they just took away that buff and the only thing he has now is to still bring back models. I think that's it for him. If we can double check and listeners, we will do that. But when I was looking at the war scrolls, I thought I saw that they had that just totally taken away, but we will see. So that stuff is again, interesting. And we'll see what the synergies are, and we'll see what the other things are in the book. You lose one thing, you gain another. And you just have to adjust, as always, when you get a new book. You know, you're going to play an army a little bit differently than you had before. Uh, Like you pointed out, with the Sisters of Slaughter, they may be a a lot more prominent on the board now than they were. And that's not a bad thing. It also means they're going to have a target painted on their foreheads now, (laughs) because you want to get rid of them before they get too close. Yeah, so overall, interesting stuff. And we shall see, hopefully soon, what it looks like just so bloody excited to be talking about that book oh my god just can't wait anyway enough foolishness
2: well Uh, everyone everyone take notes now dan is excited now (laughs) we'll check in on the barometer of of that question you know in, in several weeks i'm sure okay
1: fair enough man all right, so with that being out of the way, let's move on to Adepticon. Let's start with our adventure on Thursday. You were participating in the AOS Teams event. Why don't you talk to us about, you know, kind of going in and your first game. So we
2: were all for Soulblight, and the way that the yeah, Teams event works so is cool. you have four players of 1,000 points each, and you cannot repeat War Scrolls across your four teammates unless the, that unit is you know tr- battle line, so not a battle line if requirement. Any player that takes one of those not true battle line can include as many iterations of that unit in their list as the points permit. Mm-hmm. But other players may not take that unit. Elsewise, okay, you can't repeat sub factions. So all four of us were Soulblight, which meant that only one player could be Virkos, only one player could yeah. be Cap. Uh, you couldn't have, you know, four Blood Knights players. Things like that. The duplication of artifacts and stuff was not allowed. Obviously, many of it is locked behind, you know, the sub faction anyways, but you know you can't have multiple arcane tomes, you can't have multiple amulets of destiny, that sure. kind of stuff.
0: Okay.
2: And on day 1, your pairings are determined by the tournament organizers, you know, so player 1 plays with player 4 while player 2 plays with player 3, and mm-hmm. the captains always play against each other. And day 2, it was you chose your pairings for your teams on each of the given matchups. Our team was myself, Adam Trunzo, Mike Butcher, and Andrew Simons. Adam was the builder of the eight foot tall crimson keep. Un
1: freaking believable man, and he has gotten some real love on the interwebs. I've just seen multiple videos of that amazing structure. So well done, Adam. That was just amazing can't say more than that it's just incredible
2: yeah so all of it came together the whole army we started on january 1st talking about lists and things like that basically between models in hand to on the table was about eight weeks the whole army the whole display board everything when we went about the list building process because there's a lot of emphasis on appearance and theme in the team scoring yeah, it's important to win the games, but it's also important for the army to look good and for it to make sense and for, you know, the display board to have a theme to it and, you know, mm-hmm. there'd be story and connectivity and all that fun stuff. Once we eventually settled on, you know, wanting to play in a single faction, we settled on death, and then within death, you know, obviously there's a bunch of different things that you can choose, right? There's only four sub factions. There's four actual, you know, armies within death. You know, so we talked about, you know, one of each player. You know, we talked about, you know, some mix and match with it, but we eventually settled on what we wanted to do based on, you know, kind of what everyone was feeling at the time was to play exclusively SoulBlade. Mhm. What was kind of assigned to me in this was getting everybody's lists written so that number 1, we met all the rules requirements and number 2, everybody got to kind of do the thing that they Primarily one. Sure. So Tronzo said he was going to build the display board, and I said, great, cool. You know, what kind of army do you want since you're doing that? And he said, "One with low model count." So I said, "Sweet." You're playing Avengory. in a list with a vampire lord on zombie dragon, which was a converted Karazai. Oh, uh,
0: cool. all right.
2: You know, also might have seen that on the internet. Terrorgeist, which is battle line in Avengory, and a unit of thirty skeletons, and mm-hmm. skeletons being straight battle line mm-hmm. that did preclude anybody else from taking them. Butcher was already working on a Soulbyte army, and he said, hey, you know, I'm planning on playing Virkos, and I know that's a lot of, you know, the dead walkers, so zombies and wolves and stuff like that. He's like, this would be a good excuse to get it all painted. I said, cool, no problem, you're playing Virkose.
1: And by the way, uh, I, I, it was very satisfying being a wolf player myself to see that huge brick of wolves of his on the board. <laughs> that was really cool.
2: Yeah, and so I said, how do you feel about painting a ton of models? And he said, that sounds fine. And I said, cool. <laughs> okay. You know, you've got Belladama, Gorslav, 2x20 zombies, and a unit of 30 wolves, and an Umbral spell portal. Perfect. Again, zombies and wolves are straight battle lines, so anybody can use them. Andrew said, you know, I only want to paint new sculpts. I said, perfect, there's a sub-faction that someone needs to play here, because Castellai is good, and it would make no sense to not use it. Mm -hmm. And it's also only new sculpts. (laughs) Right, right. Vangorian Lord, 3x5 Blood Knights, Unit of 10 Wolves. Sweet. Boom. He said, well, Brendan, what are you going to play? And I was like, I will figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I ended up with Legion of Knights, mm-hmm. Manfred, White King on Horse, Necromancer, Unit of 20 Graveguard, and a Unit of 10 Skeletons.
1: Wow, Manfred. I'm shocked that list. you took Manfred. I'm absolutely shocked.
2: <laughs> yeah. I was definitely a little bit worried about my list, mostly because like it doesn't cover a lot of board space. It doesn't have necessarily a lot of staying power, mm. but what I found was that I was able to hand out a lot of the buffs and debuffs to really support whoever I was playing with sure. to help us get where we needed to go. That's okay. enough background on what our army was and all that fun stuff. Okay, We get our first round, which is Savage Gains. The team that we're playing against is Osiarch Bone Reapers, Osiarch Bone Reapers, Mega Gargants, and Lumineth. And I see that on paper, I go, okay, you know, that's interesting. And then I see the pairing for, you know, who we're supposed to be playing with. And I was really hoping that Andrew and Butcher would be able to get a game in with Trunzo and I uh, before they were paired together, because I wasn't sure how many games that they had played with Soulblight. You know, so they were paired together for our first game. So that's our Virkos and and Castellai player against Mega Gargants and Lumineth, Mm. and my heart sank. I was was like, oh no, like I don't know that they've gotten enough games in to know like all the little tricks that their list does. I had written cheat sheets for everybody, so everybody knew what everybody's armies did sure. on our side. I gave them kind of like a quick rundown of kind of how I think that they needed to play the game to get a win. And I was just like, okay, well, we'll leave them to it. And then Trunzo and I were playing against Bone Reapers and Bone Reapers, which was a really cool game. It was Alice from Goonhammer and Tom Walton, who's from the UK, okay. playing the Bone Reaper halves you know we had a plan to basically just try and anchor one side and then swinging gate the other set of objectives get their objective on the back and then swing back around to finish the hammer and anvil and so that worked pretty well we anchored on our right with trunzo's 30 skeletons which was then supported by my 20 grave guard coming in from no. to try and hide from more tech crawler that they had brought yeah if there's something that skeletons and Graveguard really don't like. It's a damage five catapult.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, we were able to protect ourselves for a little bit there with that, created an anchor point, and then you know, started to swing around the left-hand side with the Terrorgeist and the Vampire Lord on Zombie Dragon and Manfred. And that worked very well because we threatened enough there. We took off the Harvester very early. Right. And then in the next turn, Manfred was able to go steal their back objective and also tie up the Mortech Crawler, because the Mortec Crawler has one of the few ranges in the game that has a minimum range as well as a maximum to its range. Right, right. Which meant that it couldn't shoot anything, which was fantastic. And that really created a point spiral because the Graveguard got into a punch him up with a unit of Mortec Guard, and that was kind of a scary prospect because Mortech Guard are very, uh, not just durable, but also very punchy, especially for their points value. Two-handed weapon Graveguard, very punchy, not super durable. The Graveguard through some very good rolling offensive and defensively, gave better than they got, and that really allowed the 30 Brick of Skeletons to kind of assert their dominance from a model perspective on our right objective, which allowed us to kind of take a little bit more of our time on the left and created a point spiral. So we ended up getting the full 40 points in our game, and I turn over to the right to see Andrew and Butcher's game going on. And it looks like it's going well. The Lumineth player had largely castled up, and in Savage Games, you know, that's maybe not necessarily the best thing. It looked like they were down a Gargantz, and they had pinned the other one kind of in this mass of just wolves and zombies, and Mm. the Angorian Lord had an artifact that hands out a minus one to wound. Yeah. There's just a ton of stuff. So they end their game, and they're doing the scoring, and... Butcher hands me his score sheet, and they had scored a full 40 points. And oh, I, looked at him, awesome. I said, you're joking.
1: Awesome, man.
2: He goes, he goes, no. He goes, we took it out, and we got the max points. I was like, well, I was afraid for no reason. Like <laughs> These guys had it. We're good to go. Like, And that really set the tone for the rest of our games, that we did have some lists that we're going to be able to be successful. We definitely weren't the most competitive team in terms of army composition that was in the field. but. Sure. I was like, hey, look, you know, we held our own in a pairing that I was not excited about. I think we could do this.
1: That's great. That
2: was our game one.
1: Good start. All right. Before I talk about the games I played that day, I wanted to talk about the vendor area because it's something that I think a lot of people just love wandering around and stuff. And I actually had some, like, specific things I wanted to do this time, which was different because usually I just wander around. First thing I did was I went to Privateer Press place and you're like why are you going there because I use P3 metallics a lot and so I wanted to see if they had any new metallics or anything and sure enough they actually had two colors they had this really super dark bronze which looks really neat it looks like it's got a lot of potential and then I knew I was going to be playing Free Blades later so I talked to a guy named Jordan who was kind of the marshal for our games that day and he gave me a couple of recommendations and so I got to go talk with those folks and um, get a couple of models there and to see their whole range which is very very cool because there are metal models they're not plastic and you don't see a whole lot of that you get it in infinity for sure but it was really really neat just to just see display case after display case of really cool painted minis like that the other thing that i got to see was uh, byron from Artisopus. opus you know them and he is really really big on dry brushing oh yeah that it just so happens that Dan is really big on dry brushing. In fact, I learned a lot of what I know from watching Byron. And so I picked up a couple of textured palettes from them, which is really kind of cool. And I'm looking forward to using those on the gash because I'm certainly going to do some dry brushing on that. So that was really cool. And then I went over to talk to Corey, who is the creator of the game I played Saturday called Witchborn. And I went to his little place. Obviously, I haven't seen him for a few years and he had put out an entire new expansion for Witchborn. It was called War Mage Diary, kind of adding magic more into the game. And it's not so much the little counters and some of the extra rules and stuff that came with it, it's that he does such an amazing job of lore and this game is very niche. It's not just niche, it's very niche. There's not a lot of people that play it, but the story behind it and everything was cool. And just in any game, Brendan, when you can talk to the creator of the game, that is always a neat experience. I got to do that and that was kind of my run through the vendor area because the rest of the weekend I didn't have much time to do that except on Sunday for a little bit. But that feeling Okay, Brendan. Then the after the vendor area stuff, let's move on to game two with you and your teammates.
2: Yeah. So our game two, we got paired against Milwaukee, which was the <laughs> Ramsey Tobin team, uh-huh. which I think was our most geographically closest team, you know, to us. So sure. you know, we drove the two hours to Schaumburg and. You know, played some guys, you know, that we get some regular games in with, which, sure. you know, it's not a bad thing. Just some, some familiar faces. Know your enemy kind of
1: thing. <laughs> sure, uh, of course.
2: Their team was all destruction. You had Mark Ramchick playing Giants. You had Isaiah playing Cruel Boys with as many Bolt Boys as of you take. Of course, of course. You had Mitch Tobin playing Iron Jaws. And you had Mark Tobin playing Big Wah. Okay. Okay. That was an interesting combination of things, and we were playing one of the missions where you're set up in the corners, and then the three objectives are in the middle, placed out diagonally. You know, hold one, hold two, hold more. Okay. The team we were paired against was Isaiah and Mark Tobin, so my game was, you know, my Legion of Night with Castilei versus Big Wah and the Bolt Boys, which I wasn't super thrilled about. This is a team pairing. I wasn't... Like, not just our side, but, like, in terms of the lists on the other side that we weren't super keen on, but, you know, you make do with what you got. Sure. And, you know, our side being Legion of Night and Castellize. like, well, we have the punching power, we just have to find a way to get in close, take their stuff out that is going to do damage to us, and then just kind of weather the Bolt Storm as we get onto the objectives. The other game being Virkos and Avangori versus Two Giants and Iron Jaws, which consisted of a lot of pigs that was not a pairing i was super keen on as well that combination doesn't have a lot of punching power and there's not a lot of things for like belladama to make life difficult in time up with wolves because you have to do a lot of damage to try and turn a pig into a wolf and you have to do an insane amount of damage to try and turn a giant into a wolf oh yeah of course the fight being at the middle of the table was also not super advantageous because that's where they want to be And we kind of want to play at the edges. Mm -hmm. Let that one be what it's going to be. But at our table, we got out deployed. They chose to go first, sent a heat-seeking missile, Maw Crusher, into the teeth of our knights that we deployed. Now, the thing that was really nice is the castles of the Crimson Keep, you can deploy a unit of blood knights off table for every unit on table. Oh, Legion of Knight can do the same as well as put the summonable stuff in the grave. So we were able yeah. to really spread out where our army was, meaning that there was not going to be an opportunity for them to try and, you know, take out a huge chunk of our army with one fell swoop. Okay. So he slammed the Maw Crusher into, you know, a bunch of our knights, and we managed to do some pretty good damage in the swing back in their turn. And then in our turn... You know, we were arguing about the the notion of simultaneous combat and in what order we should do things. He finest houred his and
0: Mm.
2: I was really trying to get the Vangorian Lord to drop the Crusher so that the Vangorian Lord could be plus one damage on all of his weapon profiles. Mm. So I was like, well, you know, we'll go first with Manfred. I don't think we're going to do the last, like, four wounds here right away. You know, he's like a two-up save or, you know, one-up or whatever. Yeah, it's It's
1: insane. It's nuts. Yeah.
2: Right? It's just like, we're just going to try and do some... And then hope that the Van Lord comes through and knocks out the rest. So we're arguing for several minutes, and then we end up with a judge's ruling. You go, okay, fine. You know, we'll swing with Manfred, and we'll just try and chip him down because there's a order of operations here that has to occur. Mm-hmm. Manfred on his first profile, the mock rusher fails three of the saves, which is <laughs> three damage each, and just yes. drops. And we all just kind of look at each other and go, "Well, it's a good thing we argued about that."
1: All that for yeah. this? Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> Got it. it was a good start and i was feeling pretty good from there because you know that's half of one of the players lists and isaiah really hadn't moved the bolt boys forward because he wanted to maintain the long range in their turn to try and take Mm -hmm. whatever shots he did sure we end up taking the objectives at the edges with the stuff that we summon on Mm -hmm. and then they take turn two isaiah Again, proceeds to not move up the Bolt Boys because he wants to maintain the long range. And this ends up being kind of one of the things that ends up costing them the game. Because you can't choose with Bolt Boys the long range or the short range. You are, you either are or you are not because a certain set of criteria is or is not met. Okay. Okay. He just takes the long shots, we take some damage. It's not pleasant. Isaiah was rolling really hot with the fives and sixes for the mortal wounds. Thankfully there wasn't a like a swamp boss to make sixes three mortal wounds because sure. that would have been <laughs> insult to injury kind of a situation.
1: It was bad enough. You didn't need
2: that. Yeah. It was rough. <laughs> we push up, we end up taking, you know, all the objectives, and you know, battle round two, the big wah army is off the table the Wargog Prophets, you know, that were there to kind of do the Care Bear Stare. There was only one left. He had, like, three wounds left, and it was the one that had the four-up Ward Save or whatever it is. Mm. Felt pretty good about that. And it just became the Bolt Boys just chipping away. It became a situation of trying to, like, land super weird pylons for a lot of my units to tie up the Bolt Boys so that the Blood Knight player can be in an advantageous position. And we had landed a double turn... Ooh. And we're setting up a charge. And then in the Unleash Hell, the Cruel Boys end up shooting off an entire unit of Blood Knights
0: in, oh, the, crap.
2: in the Unleash Hell alone. And it was like, you've got to be kidding me. It was just ridiculous. But thankfully, we got up you know so many points that we were able to take the win. We ended up dropping one battle tactic in our game. As you flipped over to, you know, to the other game... The Giants and the Gorgrents were just too much. Now, thankfully in it, our team had managed to pull out enough battle tactics and cost the Giants and Iron Jaws player enough battle tactics that we ended up winning the pairing on aggregate by, like, four points. Ooh. 2-0. Not exactly how you'd like it to be done, but... It doesn't matter how dirty it was. Right. It was done. The mission accomplished. Cool, fantastic. You know, on to the next one.
1: Uh, absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. So my day was spent, and I started a little later. I think I started like at noon or one o'clock. I played a miniatures game called Free Blades, which is, again, a niche kind of a group. Although I found out from some of the players that there's a, group that started in Milwaukee. So I may follow up on that. Free Blades is little war bands of different types of characters. You can you can have tanks, you can have shooters, you can have magic users. There's some animal companion stuff going on. The main thing that makes this game, I think, the most interesting is the dice mechanic. You actually have to get a set of dice that is more than D12. You have to get a D14, 16, 18, and I'll talk about that in a minute, why that is. It really makes it different than what you're used to. And the way it works is is certain things in the game, either magic or abilities of particular minis cause your dice level to go up or down a certain amount. So let's say that to hit a melee you roll a d10 because that's how it works. You you roll a certain type of dice for your particular thing, whether you're shooting or your you know your melee or you're defending, whatever it is, you have to roll a d6 or d10, whatever. For example, I had a tanky guy, kind of a knight in armor person, who had a defense of five. So that means you have to roll a five or greater to wound him. Well, that works pretty well if you're rolling a d10 or a d12. You can usually roll a five or greater, right? But what if you're rolling a d6? then you don't have a really good chance. You know, it's only like a third. What if you're rolling a D4? It's impossible for you to hurt my guy. And you're going, well, Dan, how could you roll a D4? Well, if you normally roll a D8 for your melee attacks and I put magic on this guy that reduces your dice level by two, that means I'm taking you from a D8 to a D6 down to a D4. So now when you attack, you can only roll a D4. Or you can do it the other way, Brendan. You could make it so that instead of a D10 for my melee attack, I go up to a D14. It's really it's very intuitive once you start playing, but it just changes the whole game mechanic and how you decide what you're going to do, how you're going to attack, you know, who you defend with, those kind of things. And it makes it really, really cool. The magic is really interesting in terms of how it goes off and what it does. Your spellcasters have a lot of options in this game, which is really cool. So all that stuff makes it very, very interesting. Another mechanic that you literally had a visual on was you can chase down other people who break <laughs> and we actually had his magic user was running down my magic user and just kind of visualizing you know two guys in robes with staffs kind of chasing after each other just makes you want to laugh it's just so stupid but it's part of the game and again i had a archer who she ended up killing the other warband's archer on the first turn so I'm thinking, oh, she's going to do great. Well, all of a sudden, she broke. And she ended up running off the board and being worthless for the rest of the game. Oh, it was like, like what? Wait a minute. It's like, oh, you, you did your job and now you're leaving the rest of us kind of a thing. And there were little stories that were being told in all the games and just lots and lots of fun. So I played that, man, I think till, what, 7 or 8 o'clock that night we were rolling dice. Just had a great time. And again... Uh, thanks to Jordan, who was our marshal for our games. We had two people on both sides of the board, so it was a kind of a team thing. You know, he again made some recommendations I talked about earlier for some a couple other units I might want to add. There's maybe, I'm thinking like eight to ten factions in this game, so you have a lot of options there, and each faction has its own special rules, uh, which is kind of cool. Yeah, but it just had a great time playing it, and again, it's so different than what we're used to playing with our, all our D6 that you're not rolling buckets of dice <laughs> and that's really weird too that you're just rolling one die for each, each mini that you're playing depending on what you're doing so that was kind of nice too so i had a great time playing free blades and i'd recommend people take a look and maybe give it a try sometime that was my day on thursday pretty much how about your game three
2: so our game three playing against one of my soon to be atc teammates Ragonk, out of st louis and a team that introduced themselves as paul uh, okay.
1: Team Paul, alright.
2: I'm not sure that all four of them were named Paul, or all three <laughs> of them were named Paul, but they all introduced themselves as Paul.
1: Okay.
0: Okay.
2: McGronk and many Pauls. So their team was a Catacros Bone Reaper list. Something I saw and I was like, cool, don't have the punching power to get through that. Sure. A Carriage on Overlords list with a lot of Gun Haulers. Oh. Two Stormcast lists, one with raptors, the other one with dragons, so your quintessential, effectively, 2,000-point army, but in two halves. And we were playing Tooth and Nail, which is the mission where you can't have reserves, which mm. was really just the worst possible mission for us, given our pairings, because I was playing with Mike Butcher's Coast list which covers a lot of board space. There wasn't exactly a lot of room for us to deploy. My army is slow and having to walk across the board, not my favorite thing from, you know, what my army is looking to do perspective. And we were playing against the Catacross list and the Caradron Overd's Lords list. Oh,
1: shoot, shoot, shoot. And, yeah.
2: You know, the other pairing <laughs> being the Stormcast Dragons list, which I didn't think favored us, but I didn't think was going to be impossible. Okay. What we seek to do was... You know, cast Spell Portal, try and tie up as many units as we can with Wolves, you know, then let Manfred try and take a bunch of stuff down while the Graveguard hopefully follow him up and go get some objectives. That plan worked kind of okay.
1: That doesn't sound encouraging,
0: man.
2: <laughs> yeah, like we had to go for a lot of Hail Marys. When your offensive play scheme is chuck the ball up, somebody's down there. Not a strategy I recommend like wholesale you know (laughs) play to what's available to you and we kept it very competitive through four turns and then it just got to a place you know in five where it became unscorable for us sure bone reapers had a turn in which they killed almost the entire 30 brick of wolves no god uh, from 30 to zero including battle shock almost oh god it was the perfect storm. You've got Catacros's ability up for plus one to hit. You had them exploding on fives and sixes. You had their triumph going for plus one to wound. Okay. And they had the command ability for one additional attack. And they just blended the wolves. And yeah. that was backbreaking. We had a couple of, you know, late Hail Mary things that, you know, we tried weren't successful with we took quite a few points from that loss but wasn't great and then looking at the other table they were down to like you know just really both teams had just a couple of models left like total oh god and you know so we're all standing around watching and it comes down to i can't remember i think it was like a blood knight or something like that trying to take down one of the dragons and you know get a monster point and a priority target point points. Okay. And like a battle tactic or something. And he manages to do it, which brings the game to a tie on victory points. Oh. And in tiebreakers, you know, my team gets handed the minor loss. We ended up losing game three as a team, but we took quite a few points with us. So that was definitely. That's a good fortunate, point. yeah. But, whoa. Oh, man. That was a tough one. That was a competitive combination of things, particularly in the two Stormcast lists you know one of the things that as you know some people were talking to me leading up into the event you know kind of what I thought of what the four most competitive combinations of things that you could put together were and mm. one of my suggestions was start with a you know one player who's got two giants a player that's got all the long strikes a player who's got dragons and then you know your fourth player is just kind of whatever you think is going to be good versus what you think the field is going to be so okay OLS Seraphon was a suggestion. There were a couple of things that I put out to folks, and this team had two of the lists that I thought you should definitely be including if you were looking to win best general for the event. So, Given what I knew what we were, and we had been punching above our weight class to that point, I wasn't disappointed. We got points out of it, we weren't basically totally blanked in that endeavor, and that's all you could really ask for at that point. Especially since so many points were in appearance and theme and things like that, and Given that we had an eight-foot-tall castle, uh, <laughs> right. it was going to be tough in my mind to keep us from a lot of those points. Sure.
1: Sounds like we both had a pretty good Thursday. Pretty yeah. active, for sure.
2: Yeah, it was and, a long Thursday, for sure.
1: And then we're going to move into our Friday endeavors.
0: Here's to five miserable months on the wagon and all the irreparable harm that it's caused me.
1: So, Friday it is, the sun has risen, and we are going to play the last two games of your team's tournament, and we're going to play three games of Gibbering Dome, which was the narrative Sigmar event run by Paul and Will and I'll talk about those. But I want to start out by talking about a really nice experience I had. Uh, that evening, I had checked in with the Basement of death crew upstairs. They were running the very popular Space Hulk. Troy and his brother John and Ben, and a couple others, uh, run that event. And they get some real celebrities that love coming through there and playing that game. It was just amazing to see these people, Brendan, I had not seen forever. I had seen Ty a couple times, but he was there. Troy, you know, I hadn't seen John. I hadn't seen Ben for a long time. And then Brian Nero, the guru of Anvil 8, was there. And I have not seen Brian in years. And it was just fun to catch up with him and reminisce a little bit about, you know, how we first met at uh, Nexus and kind of things he's going through. There was a transition for him at Anvil 8 and just had a wonderful time. Just a great individual. And the other thing that was really neat was I got to meet the lead designer, a gentleman named Mike for Ethereum. Now, he didn't do the illustrations and stuff, but he was the guy who put together all the artwork and the lore and the rules and everything into their books. And it's, again, you know, just like meeting Corey who made Witchborn, it's so informative and fascinating to talk to these people people who were able to pull all these things together, Brendan, and put them into one awesome package. You know, you know, we kind of talked upstairs and then we all headed down to the bar and I bought a first round and just kept talking to folks. More folks came in and just a great evening of socializing with you know, kind of long lost friends. And that was really, really a neat way to finish that day for me. So I just wanted to share that with the listeners and... Because you know, that's part of what this is, is being with people that you know and you you want to be with. Very, very cool. Finish to the day. Let's go on and let's talk about your Game 4 in your team tournament, Brendan.
2: Game 4, day two at Teams Games Workshop was streaming the games.
0: Oh, okay.
2: And we got picked to oh. play on stream for Game 4 against... The all-Nurgle team that was there, you know, they were in costume, they had a banner, the, they had an excellent display board.
0: Of course.
2: And from a totally kind of uh, you know sizing up the competition perspective, the one team that I felt we were in competition for, for you know best paint and best appearance. So the two of us got to play on stream. That was just such an awesome looking game. It was a good game. It seemed on both tables it was competitive. It's on Warhammer TV, so you know you can go back and watch it and okay. really enjoy you know, the might of it. And so they were streaming both tables and flipping between them, and you get a good sense of what was going on on both. And it was just such a cool experience. I have been on Warhammer TV before, but it's been a number of years. This was really, really something else. You were also on day two picking your pairings and matchups. So
0: mm-hmm.
2: the game four was tectonic interference. So I picked to play with Trunzo. Because you know we want to be in the middle fighting, and then you know the other pairing, obviously being the Virkos and Blood Knights list between Butchers and and Andrew, that worked really well for us in our first game. Let's go back to the well and see you know if we can be successful again in that. We got paired into the Blight King list and the Blight Lord list mm. on our table, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. Low versus low model count, so it was you know perfect fit of you know what we're trying to do. Then on the other table, they got the plague drones versus just kind of the mass of bodies as their fourth list which had a bunch of beasts of nurgle in it okay in our game they outdeployed us they had gut rot spume in the list so two units of blight kings and a blight lord off table with gut rot which i thought was a very interesting play since the objectives were going to be in the middle mm-hmm. we had set up a big long protective buffer screen using the 30 skeletons in trunzo's list and the 10 in mine to kind of keep the meat of our army safe relatively mm-hmm. their lord of afflictions has the command trait where you can't issue commands and can't receive within certain areas and that was a tough <laughs> one to through that right middle of our army now thankfully oh. you know i had some heroes that were at the edges so they could do issuing to units that were in that bubble without themselves being subject to it
0: right.
2: that was kind of a small saving grace for us but they slammed into our line with the blight lords on the front of the screen and then were able to get a unit of blight kings in to the side and they made a very critical mistake very early mm. as they Got within three inches of Manfred. Oh. And start a combat. I picked Manfred up, mm-hmm. set him down, took one of their objectives that uh, they were going to be uh, using for aggressive expansion. Oh, God. Uh, So they only got one objective. They didn't have two. They didn't have more. They didn't get their battle tactic. You know, they just kind of went right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we had a big punch him up. My. You know, Manfred came back down, you know, because we still held it just to hand out his buff. Graveguard just started chopping, started chopping, started chopping, you know, working their way through a bunch. The 30 skeletons ended up disappearing. The 10 skeletons end up disappearing.
1: They were there for that. They were there to scratch. Yeah, so, yeah.
2: And, and that played kind of perfectly into what we were trying to do because I had set the grave sites up in such a way where I was really hoping for the late game summons so that we could go back mm. and, you know, make sure we could threaten the objectives that we needed to. Sure. And there's just this protracted punch him up with the vampire lord on zombie dragon versus the lord of afflictions, you know, because he's also got the artifact that
0: gives mm-hmm. him like a really good
2: board save, yeah. and that takes forever. The terror guy swings out to fight a sigor, you know, start to help us gain control of the middle. We double turn into two. Oh wow! Helps us really establish good field position, keeping the blight kings trapped basically on my backboard edge with the objectives in the middle, is, is perfect. So we only really have to think about one army that we're going to be dealing with. We end up summoning the 30 unit back, obviously is 15. To take the third objective, we just establish a dominant mid-table position. You know, so they're trying to scrape back points, scrape back points, scrape back points... I end up losing Manfred to a bunch of Mortal Wounds done off the charge, and they kill my Necromancer, which ends up costing me my grand strategy. Mm -hmm. But we end up costing them both of theirs, which is going to be critical. We end up taking the win on like four points or something like that on the table. So you you flip over to the other table, and, and on the surface, it's not looking good. The Beast of Nurgle list is quite good. Plague drones are very durable. And, you know, you can go back to listen to our show. I think plague drones are quite a good unit. You know, there's maybe some other things in the list that draw your attention there. But especially in a team's environment where you can't have, you know, repeat of the same units typically and you're creating mm-hmm. a separate theme. That ends up being something where good tool to have in your tool belt. But they end up, our team, getting both of our grand strategies, costing mm-hmm. the other team, you know, like one battle tactic or something like that while we lost on the other table we ended up winning on aggregate by a single grand strategy
0: oh wow
2: close as close can be fantastic game super great looking armies got to play on stream that was a really cool experience that was kind of a Warhammer bucket list item for you know a number of my teammates. It was really cool that we got the opportunity to do that.
1: Now, a question with Nurgle. How did disease points work? Were they effective? Were they not so much based on who they were playing? How, what was your experience with those?
2: On our table, it was a little less of a big deal just because a lot of our stuff just died. And the heroes that we have have just innate healing sure. to help remove things. So, like, we were taking chip damage here and there, but healing it back and, you know, it not being too big of a deal. Disease points actually ended up helping us in a spot because us being wounded through them allowed us to achieve one of the battle tactics that was listed in the White Dwarf, where you have to be able to heal using, you know, the Hunger ability that's on the Empire Wars. And so, because we took the damage that we did from the units that we did in the way that we did, we were able to achieve that Battle tactic, which helped us actually win the game on our table. So I can't speak to what exactly happened on the other table. I'm not all the way through rewatching the Warhammer TV just so I can really see what my teammates did. Sure. By all accounts, I still believe it to be a very effective tool in the games with Nurgle that I have had. It adds up.
1: All right. Thanks for that. That's great. You guys are doing okay so far, it sounds like.
2: Yeah. We are three and one, but just barely in two of our wins. You know, one full Mm -hmm. win two barely skated by wins and a set of losses where we took just about as many points as you can take with you in it so you're feeling feeling pretty good first place is probably out of reach but that's fine we're gonna do our best
1: oh yeah always all right so we're gonna move on i'm gonna talk about game one of gibbering dome for me Really interesting to play Path to Glory, Brendan. Not only the prep before and after each game, the admin, you have to do, but not having to deal with things like strategies and tactics and some of the other competitive rules that we have. Really made the game different in some ways. Not having to focus on certain things and think about those as you were playing. But still Age of Sigmar. Still had objectives, you know, all those kind of things. I had a list. It was... You know, team kind of a deal. And so my thousand points was Belladama, a necromancer, Gorslav. And then I had a unit of 20 wolves, a unit of 10 wolves, and 20 zombies. So that was pretty much it. Hoping that things would die and Gorslav would bring them back and that kind of stuff. So taking the advice of uh, this guy I know who plays a uh, Sigmar, his name's Brendan, uh, <laughs> be aggressive with your wolves. And let me tell you, my friend, I was aggressive with my wolves. First of all, I use the command ability that gives them kind of the zombie thing where they can pile in, you know, six inches. And I also use the command ability during the movement phase to give them the extra six inches or to guarantee the six inches. In essence, I was moving them 22 inches across the board that first turn, which was insane. And I literally got stuck in with 700 points of Stormcast and Blood Knights. And it was just fantastic, Brendan, because, I mean, he was killing my wolves, but there's 40 wounds there. He just couldn't burn through them all and it was so so cool to just tie half of his army up with that one unit my partner was uh, brandon he had a nurgle list he had a couple units of blight kings and he had a lord of afflictions and a couple of blight lords we were playing against aaron with his stormcast and gava with his soul blight Really interesting how all that worked out. Brandon and I really worked pretty well together in that he had his Blight Kings holding an objective on one side and moving them forward because my Wolves after that first turn, obviously with that much Pounding on them, they got pretty beat up. I was down to four wolves. But he was able to make a really good transition. He brought his all his Blight Kings in on his right flank. They were moving up on my wolves, which I pulled back to be close to Belladama. Dan mistake, of course. I had the wolves way out there, but they were too far out, and Belladama was just sitting there. Dumb. <laughs> so I pulled them back to help protect her because he had, on his Stormcast, he had the guys, are they the Paladors that can teleport around? Is oh, that the sure ra- yeah yeah so we had a unit of three of those and they teleported behind me and tried to charge Belladama when she was out in the open. Fortunately they didn't make their charge. Yes, that was awesome. So I got the wolves close enough to her. The zombies were moving up and holding things up on that side. His other side kind of collapsed the Lord of afflictions did okay but the Blight Lords were kind of getting beat up on that side. Moving my zombies up really helped we got turn two, and it was about halfway. We had finished our half of turn, our of battle round two, and we were like way ahead. We had almost all of the objective points, and we were looking, going, "Man, we're doing really well." And the timer almost ran out. Like we were almost done already. But we had gotten really aggressive, were really far forward, grabbed objectives kind of locked him out and he didn't have room to maneuver other than those paladors that could teleport. So he could not take the objectives that needed to be taken. And Brandon also brought in a unit of 10 Plague Bears. So that helped with the back objective. Game one went really, really well. I'm really happy I followed your advice to be aggressive with those wolves which I was every single game I played this weekend so it was neat to take the wolf zombie list out for a stroll because I have not really played them on a table we, had, we got a game in but getting that many reps with them was very very helpful and to see things actually work out not only did we get the win but we also got some narrative stuff that worked out for us the other thing real quickly with this was at the beginning you were paired with another player because there were because there were basically two sides to the story. And so you were kind of a liberating force. The other force was kind of trying to maintain the status quo. But you got, again, you know, paired up with another person who, on the other side, you were eventually going to get matched up against in Game 3, which turns out was really an interesting thing. That was my Game 1. Went really well and was glad to get some narrative sigmar in. That was really, really cool.
2: Game 5, Better. we were paired up with Andrew from the Chicagoland area. And his whole team was Chicago area-ish people. A lot of familiar faces, you know, folks I've run into at other events. And so they were playing Beasts of Chaos, Sylvaneth, Flesh Eater Quartz, and Giants. Oh. We're Giants. This was the Vice, so playing long ways, which I felt was a set of missions that worked out pretty well for us, just in general. We had talked the night before about going into this doing the pairings as me playing with the Blood Knights, and then having the Wolves and the Avangori play together. You know, this was tough because, you know, the Captains play each other, so I knew we were playing against Beasts of Chaos, but I didn't know what the Beast of Chaos player was going to pick. So I said, you know, we'll stick to the plan. So he picked to play with his wife, who was playing Sylvaneth. Okay. And it was Sylvaneth and Beasts of Chaos versus Blood Knights and Legion of Knights. Ooh. And it was... Flesh Eater Quartz and Giants versus the Wolves and our Monsters. Felt good about our table. Didn't feel super great about the other table. Kind of see how it shakes out. Ended up shaking out pretty good. We outdeployed them. We forced them to go first. Basically, what you do in the Vice, the first mission, you know, the first battle round, you just kind of stay stationary, you know, move up to be in position to grab the objectives in battle round two. Cool, woohoo. They maintain priority <laughs> into two. Not a lot happens. And then we go for all of it. We just go for the home run hitting, swinging gates, like just full throttle, Blood Knights downhill. Let's go get this win turn where we end up, you know, getting a bunch of the big units. We end up dropping Durthu. We end up taking one of the objectives for the hold one, hold two, hold more Mm -hmm. scoring, which in the vice is huge, especially if you can get it early because then that means that there is an acceleration that you have to have in battle rounds four and five that you're not going to be able to pick up in the same way. And if you can maintain a dominant position, you can effectively secure the win in battle round two or three by doing that. And then we double into three where just the wheels fall off. And it's the result of some Very silly dice. So I pick broken ranks for our team to achieve, and there's a unit of five tree revenants just sitting there waiting for Manfred to squish them. So Manfred flies over three inches away, and they redeploy some sword kernoff hunters. They get a six. So it basically becomes a situation where if I'm going to get this battle tactic, it's going to hurt. Yep, fine. I accept that. And, you know, we move up a bunch of our other stuff to try and, you know, take out the meaty portion of the rest of the Beast of Chaos army and go from there. Well, I roll Manfred's charge. And I roll a twelve, which means I jump over the unit of Tree Revenants <laughs> within three inches of the herdstone. The Beast of Chaos player Andrew goes, "Oh no, he's a monster, right?" And I go,
1: "Yeah, uh, yep. yes, it is. yep."
2: He goes, "This is very, very bad." <laughs> I don't manage to crush the herdstone in our turn, but I do end up managing to do it in bottom of three. Use the grave Guard to end up cleaning up a bunch of dragon ogres that are there the blood knights are in you know we're fighting with you know the zangor enlightened we're getting the zangor shaman you know now we hold all four objectives and it just becomes a how many points do we score mop up we end up getting max points on our table which very exciting unfortunately we ended up dropping or i think both of our grand strategies on the other table and we ended up losing the game on aggregate by Hmm. two points tough That's the way it goes. So we ended up finishing out three and two, with one big full point win, three basically just barely wins, and then you know one major loss, one minor loss game. Yeah, it was a really good time. We all talked about you know getting the team back together for next year. Fun was had by all. It was a really cool event. It was a really different way to do it, and it was great.
1: That's great. I wanted to circle back on game five and ask you how did the beasts of chaos play with the new. Buff to their rend. Uh,
2: There's definitely some very scary things about them. That's for sure. Okay. (laughs) Definitely some interactions that we said. I don't think we can handle that fight quite yet. Where Um,
1: you wouldn't have said that before.
2: No, Manfred crushing the herdstone. You know, definitely made it a kind of a deflating moment on a charge roll that you couldn't reasonably expect to have gotten off. Nonetheless. An outlier and really showed the difference between the Beasts of Chaos with all their rules and the Beasts of Chaos with, oh, the Emperor has no clothes kind of a situation. Okay,
1: sure. Good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear it's helping them out and
2: glad to hear you guys
1: had such a great time. That is pretty amazing. So it's just amazing to me that four individuals, I mean, you know each other, that's one thing, but that you could come together and get all that stuff working together the way you did in terms of your armies and the terrain and just. How you played together, I think that was really cool, and that you all had soul Blight, Every army was was pretty neat. I would not have expected that. That's yeah, very people cool.
2: really liked that we were playing just out of one book. They thought it was really cool. Great
1: game two with Jibbering Dome partner Joshua had OBR, and for the first time ever, I got to roll some dice against our friend Tanya and her Flesh Eater Courts. And Trevor had a Eidynith army, which was kind of interesting. He had an Achillean King, and he had I think three. Sharks, no eels, and then he had some reavers. That was kind of the matchup and as you do in pairs, you know, I ended up kind of pairing off against Tanya on that side of the board. And I started off as before, pretty aggressive and charged into his uh is it Vargolf? Isn't that right? Trying to knock it out, and I got a little bit of ghoul in there because he had them kind of wrapped around. That worked out well again, really tied him up, almost killed the guy. Just some bad dice rolling. I didn't quite get him. Once again, and I didn't mention this in the first game, Belladama turned people into wolves, and it was so cool. I got, what, two liberators? I ended up turning into wolves in the other game, rolling really well, and then I was hoping to get the Vargulf low enough that I could try to turn him into a wolf, which is would have been classic. But I ended up doing a couple of zomb, or a couple of ghouls. On the other side of the board, he was kind of moving slowly as you can imagine with OBR, but he had his Brendan, what are they, the Regular foot soldiers Who are really Really resilient They hit hard The Mortec Guard Yeah he had them In a really good position In the middle The thing that really Knocked me out Was My 20 Wolves Got hit by A a Terrorgeist And the Killian King at the same time. Oh, my God, man. It was like the game you talked about where the wolves just got eaten alive. It was the same thing. Killian King is nuts. Man. He's
2: pretty good. He took out a potload of... Why not on the next show and we talk about his worst girl?
1: Yeah. I mean, fortunately, my necromancer had Decrepify, and I was close enough on the next battle round that I could kind of nerf him just a little bit, and it helped. But, man, it was brutal. My wolves just melted between those two things. My zombies were kind of holding out, turned like to one side so they could kind of fill a, a slot, and we didn't have people charging all over us. The sharks ended up trying to charge into the Mortec Guard, and the Mortech Guard did really well. I think it killed two of the sharks when they were charging in. But I felt really helpless against that Terrorgeist. I just... I couldn't do anything to it with that list. But again, it was really fun playing against Tanya. And we decided that at uh, Vault Wars, we're actually going to try to grudge the first game, which is neat. So we'll see how that all works out. But again, as you talked about, seeing somebody you know and you've played you know, at the same tournaments and stuff, but never actually rolled dice against. was really, really fun. We ended up winning that game just barely to uh, win that one, despite the fact that we had so many losses. And good game. Good second game. There was some narrative that came out of it. And then our third game was kind of for everything in terms of the narrative. It was like you were defending an embassy or something. And I ended up getting matched up against Martin. He plays uh, Illumina Realm Lords. He's a really... Vocal advocate for the game, very articulate. He had written for this thing, he had written like a book, I swear, Brendan. He had it bound and everything for all his background for his army and stuff. It was really cool. And then my partner was Zeench player. Cameron And we were also playing against a guy who was relatively new, it seemed, to the game, who was playing a bunch of Dwarden out of the City's book. So he had some shooters, he had some choppy guys, whatever else. Martin's Realm Lords, they had one unit of Sentinels, and he had, I think, two... Units of toothpick guys, the big spears, and then he had one unit of the cavalry. And (laughs) those things are just so stupid, man. I swear to God. And I had experienced the cavalry just foolishness with Christian, you know, when he had those conversions that he had done. Martin moved 28 inches and just slammed into my zombies and poof. It was just like a puff of smoke. They just went away. All 20 of them were just gone. My wolves, however... Again, being aggressive with them, I actually charged into his spearmen, and it wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. Belladama had turned two of his Sentinels into wolves, which was very cool. I still had that unit of 10 that I had off the board before and I ended up bringing them in to fill that gap that the zombies had left. And Gorslav and the Necromancer kind of pulled back and then that unit of wolves ended up pulling back onto an objective. I pulled away from my combat and retreated and we took that objective. There was another one on the other side that the Z player that Cameron had pushed really hard with his Lord of Change and he had some screamers. And so we took that and it kinda went back and forth and we lost, I think by a point in the end. It was a great game and it was great to play against Martin. I you know, had never met him before. And I still felt pretty good about how my wolf list did against, you know, Luminef, given what they have. Yeah, it was a really good game and a, another great experience playing a narrative. And we finished up. Paul and Will, again, a shout-out to them for putting this whole thing together. I think we had about 20 people that played during the day. But it was just such a different way to play and really enjoyed the storytelling between each game and the storytelling at the end. And a few awards were given out. But it was all really, really a good time and a great break from competitive Sigmar, as it were. So that was really, really neat. Did you kind of finish early? Were you able to do anything on Friday because you only had two games?
2: Yeah, so awards were at five thirty. Okay. Which was definitely pretty nice. You know, from an awards perspective, we won Best Death and we won Best Structural Display Board.
0: Oh nice. We ended
2: up finished second in paint and appearance to the Nurgle team. You know which were the foes to come up short against. We finished third overall. So oh, that wow. was
1: congratulations. That's exciting.
2: great. Yeah. Especially given that we went three and two, third overall is, is very good. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Well, that's those points from all the other stuff, you know, all the soft score points that you got for all exactly. the effort you put in. So that's great.
2: Yeah, and and so they finished second, and the team that finished first, it was you know they just ran away with it. They had a lot of theme points, they had a lot of battle points. It was pretty good. It was uh, they were very successful and had some very competitive items in that list too, which you know, yeah. certainly helps the case. We really just went and got dinner and had a secret closed door meeting <laughs> with some Games Workshop people. Okay. You know. Not a big deal. Normal Friday night stuff. Okay, and then cool. I was just getting ready for Saturday.
1: Okay, well then let's move into Saturday. It was the start of the Champs for you, day one, and getting all that going. What can you tell us about day one, you know, prep and how it went and everything else?
2: I mean, there's not really too much to talk about. We would gotten the tables set up the night before. And from the perspective of the TO, it's just an event that large. It's really just getting the rounds kicked off on time, you know, making everything gets entered and having your judges roam the hall. And yeah. it's not terribly exciting. A lot of sitting in a chair, you know, waiting for
1: something to waiting happen
2: for round <laughs> or, or somebody to, you know, have a problem big enough that, you know, the, that you need to be needed. And sure. I had a fairly sizable staff of rules judges who, you know, would kind of be out amongst the tables handling the quick questions and then, a hey escalate it to me when it's something that you know you're not comfortable handling or it's you know something or it's a bigger concern okay we had people going around you know making sure that you know everybody's models are legal and you know everybody's yeah. meeting the requirements for, for the events and mm-hmm.
0: you know
2: just double checking you know people's armies you know making sure that what they're playing is what they submitted and stuff oh, like yeah, that sure, so sure like, that's what it is like, that's, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah sure yeah. You know, making announcements, and it's not exciting. Like it, you know, Okay,
1: it just, no, it's you know. fine. My day was spent playing Witchborn, which is this, again, very, very niche uh, miniatures game. I played it three years ago when we had Adepticon last, and I only played the scenario called The Pit, which I'm going to talk about again which I definitely signed up for, and there are actually a lot of people playing that this time. A young guy named James did a great job of orienting me again on the rules because it had been a while, and I'd read through them, but still I needed to kind of familiarize myself again, and he did a great job of doing kind of a... Brief, a very brief orientation game. The thing with this, just like I talked about the different types of dice with free blades, this is about dice, but this game has its own unique set of dice. You're not rolling, they're D6s, but they're not, there's no numbers on them per se. So what you have is you have these D6s with different types of hits and they also have an oops on them so you have a skull with this weird thing and i'll talk about the oops in a minute but you have that you have two no result you have nothing on them and then you have two you have a parry hit a shield hit and then a crit on these dice and If you roll a crit, the hit always goes through. It doesn't matter what's going on. If you get either a parry or a shield hit, it depends on the person you're attacking whether they have that particular skill. So if they have the shield skill, then a shield hit doesn't do anything. If they have a parry skill, that doesn't do anything. If they have both, that's kind of the way that works. The oops thing is he has an app, and when you get an oops, he goes to the apper who is running the game, goes to it, and all kinds of things can happen. Like... I'll talk about a couple of oops I had when I played into the pit. But you can have, you know, somebody's weapon breaks or somebody slips or uh, a bird flies across, you know, comes out of the brush and flies across and you miss a shot or you take another oops or so. it just depends on what it is but it's pretty fascinating to watch and if you're interested at all uh listeners in what those things are like you can download the app it's for witchborn and just see what some of those results are and they're pretty creative they're always very different even in a long game like the pit you don't end up with two ever being the same and it's pretty neat A uh, mechanic. We played the orientation game, and then James and I played one of the main scenarios called Enter Perdition, where you get this airship that crashes on this dusty plains, and each of the warbands, and you have eight models in each warband, has to recover kind of the loot from this and get it off the board. That's your objective, and it was really neat. You would love this, Brendan, because his warband was made up of rat men. So I know that that's one you would want to play All right, for that's sure. Fine.
0: My favorite.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I thought of you right away, like, a Brendan would not like this. And I played with a bunch of elves. There are, I think, about six or seven factions, including one that he created in the last couple years. It's actually like a Daughters of Cain, dark elf kind of one, which is kind of neat. He had certain advantages. I had certain advantages. And one of the things that was really funny was you can break. You have to take a break check if certain things happen. So, like, four of my warband broke in one turn and I'm thinking oh, I'm done I'm finished well they almost all recovered so it went pretty well the next turn half of his warband broke and they all ran so I was able to shoot at them all and it was just great man it knocked them all out he hardly had anything left but just, again, playing it more and getting that experience with it, it became much more easier. And, again, the dice become much more intuitive and just very, very different, but very fun. Had a, had a great time with that. Uh, and there is magic in this, if you're wondering, which was kind of cool. Uh, my mage actually put this... Spelled down on the board, and it made it so that everything was slower. I think it was called Entangle or Entwine or something like that, and it really helped because his ratmen were really fast. So I dropped it, and like half of his warband was in effect in the range of it. I slowed them down and was able to get close enough to them that I could kind of pound on them a little bit. That was really cool. And then the big event—it's a scenario called the pit. And Brendan, basically what it is, is it's this old cathedral inside, like the last town on earth. It's kind of the lore. And the floor kind of fell out. And what they did was they made a giant pub in the basement of this thing. It's just so crazy because one of the mechanics you have for placing models is there are these little dots with numbers on the maps. They're all paper maps. So you start putting stuff down and like all of a sudden this pub was just literally packed with people and creatures and it is just so cool to look at and you have four players and there actually were two games going so james was running another one Corey, the guy who created the game actually was the guy running our game each warband has four models in it and i have my elves and somebody else had some like barbarians another person had the rat guys and the bar has a bouncer and his name is little Bill and he's like a tr- a giant ogre kind of guy so you don't want to be close to little Bill the other part of little Bill is he's hungry all the time so if he ever sees anybody who gets knocked down and is bleeding on the floor little Bill comes over to investigate in his own special way if your model gets chomped on long enough literally that character is gone otherwise you just don't get to play in the next scenario you know if you're doing a campaign kind of thing but he's one of the other characters in there and so we started playing the pit again all these people are rolling oopses and all this kind of stupid stuff is (laughs) happening one guy he had an oops and he ended up cutting himself with his knife and he started bleeding well little bill was like right next to him so he hit him with his club and knocked the guy to the ground and started chewing on him and then like for the next two or three turns the rest of his warband is trying to get this giant ogre off of him the one thing about little bill is he's really really stupid He would roll a die and all of a sudden he'd forget what he's doing. And he just wanders off into some other place in the pub. We were doing pretty good. I had still had like three of my warband left. And everybody else was down like one or two players. I was trying to knock off this rat man who was hiding behind like one of the tables who was picking off other people. He was like an archer kind of guy too. And so I took my first shot at him and I rolled an oops. Well, it turns out that I had... The text was something like, you must have been at the top of your class in marksmanship because you just shot the leader of your warband through the eye. And I'm like, no, really, come on. And so that was it. My leader was gone. He was dead. And I'm thinking, this is stupid, man. I'm, I'm doing so well. Well, the next turn, I shot again with the same archer and his bow broke. And it was like, come on. And there was this young guy. I can't remember his name. He was the fourth person. He and his dad had seen the game and they sat down and they were playing with us. And he was rolling crits all the time. And we were all like, let's let's see this dice, man. You know, but it was just so fun. My leader had fallen down once again next to little Bill, Brendan. And so little Bill does his thing and he's starting to nosh on my leader and once again, as one of my guys moved towards him, he forgot what he was doing. And he moved off to some other part of the bar and was doing some other thing. It was just so entertaining. <laughs> it was so good. And I think there were maybe six or seven other people who were watching who would have liked to have played. But they didn't have the, the boards and everything to accommodate it. But uh, really, really cool. It almost seems like if you've got a bunch of friends who play miniature games... The pit would be something that you would just sit down, have four people sit down, another person run it, and just drink beer and have fun with this. It's that kind of entertaining thing. Lots and lots of fun with that. And it was, man, we were up to like 10 or 10.30, I think, playing that. So a really, really cool day uh, with Witchborn. And, yeah, that's it for my Saturday. Day two, Sunday, Champs, pretty much the same as the day before, except I... Got to help out, which was really fun. Never been a minion before at an event like that. You and Domus actually had me taking care of the Youngbloods, which was kind of neat.
2: We needed somebody to oversee that event. We had three people originally register for it, one of which decided to play in Champs on Saturday. Yes. so that was neat. And then so the second person that would have played dropped. Normally, the TO for Youngblood is really just there to supervise and be accessible mm-hmm. and, you know, make sure that, you know, they're all having fun. But when it's one person, right, they've signed up for it. They want to do this thing. So then it's just to provide the opportunity to play a game in a comfortable and, you know, educational setting and, you know, make sure that they're going to be successful and and that they have a good time. Right. Because yeah. that's where the hobby you know
1: it comes from. Ellis was a young man. He was there with his dad. And he played a really good game. I really appreciated the fact that he brought a Lumineth Realm Lords list with no Sentinels. That was really helpful. <laughs> so he had, I think, two or three units of uh, Spearmen. He had two units of Swordsmen. I believe there were four apiece, if I remember. And then he had Cathalar was his one hero and the other hero was annoying as hell was the hero who can be near an objective and take it and you have to kill them
2: oh the lore seeker oh man that
1: thing was a menace but he played very well he knew the rules well we talked through a couple of things like uh, turn order We talked about ties and those kind of things. I did some things like retreated off of objectives, but still holding them to kind of show him how that mechanic worked. And overall, it was just a really, really fun game. My wolves, I don't need to say it again what they did, but they were in his face pretty quickly. My zombies moved up pretty quickly as well. And then my unit of 10 that I had, of wolves that I had that were off the board, actually came in from off the board, went in to go after his Cathalar. In the end... I won on points. I think it was like 22 to 28, something like that, that I can remember. But he did very, very well. It was just a real joy to play someone who was so new to the hobby and be able to talk them through things and see them enjoy the game, see them when they make those good rolls and do other things like that. So again, I really, really appreciate the opportunity that you guys gave me to to be part of that. And I would certainly be willing to do that again next year because it was just a lot of fun.
2: From our staff, you were the perfect person to run it, right? You are oh, appreciate- a retired teacher. Our orientation on the podcast is towards education of the game as well. Sure. So, you know, to understand that it's not a quote unquote competitive game, it's a game where the priority is, you know, making sure that the person who signed up as fun and that you're engaging yeah. that person at their level. You had built up quite the crowd at one point of, <laughs> uh, of young onlookers so it- yeah i
1: think we had i think there was a dad with like th- three kids and he was all excited and his kids were excited like you said there were people around and that was really fun too to know that you know you can be an ambassador for the hobby like that it was really awesome yeah i hope we get more people Turning out next year and that I can help out that way. That was really, really awesome. The day went through and I think what we should do is talk about results because really it's another day of Sigmar, two more games. Talk about from your perspective as the, you know, the tournament organizer, what you felt about it, things that happened and and how things turned
0: out in the end.
2: Yeah. So I'll address it here. There was a measure of controversy in the nature of the awards. We went through with our announcements and had had to make a revision after the fact i'm going to speak to that here i'm going to put the facts on the table this is going to be the really the one time i talk about this because it was a a, quite the event on the internet this week i think is the most polite way of putting it in the announcing of the awards the adepticon team made an error in respects to the overall winners of the champs events we adjudicated a tiebreaker incorrectly and we discovered this error in our normal review of results prior to submission for posting. nature of the error was human, and many have criticized a lack of using an application during the event. Quite frankly, this is untrue. Adepticon teams and champs used Warscore, an application for data keeping and pairing for the event. Specific criticism has been levied at, not using Best Coast pairings. This application was considered for use, as I had full leeway and choice of application and process. However, it did not have the granularity for scoring and tiebreakers we were looking for and would have required a spreadsheet separate from the application and would not and could not have prevented the error as resulted. The team as a whole has been deeply consumed by the nature of this error. We are all individuals who not only do not liking mistakes, do not like admitting them, especially moreover when they have a tangible impact on an individual. In correction of this error, all the persons affected will be getting an additional medal with their correct place and keep the original medal awarded. On top of that, the original announced winner, Emma Mangles, has received a golden ticket to the Warhammer finals, which the Adepticon team lobbied for and Adepticon is paying for to make this error right in the here and now. For the future state, I can tell you that this Adepticon We had preemptively identified some opportunities for improvement that attendees would have seen, including a streamlined check-in as well as increased staffing for rules judging and paint judging. Paint judging in a room of 189 players was 79.4% complete after the first break and 100% completed by the end of the second break. Rules judges were active and present throughout the hall for the entire weekend, being preemptive in compliance with any model or painting rules that needed to be met, as well as being available for tableside questions for all players. During the running the event, we had developed a list of things that needed to be improved on for 2023 and beyond. This list of action items was accelerated in the wake of the tiebreaker error, and members of the Adepticon team have entered advanced discussions with application developers to ensure that we have a system for the future. It permits Adepticon to be run in such a way that it maintains the spirit of the event, being a hobby and soft scores forward, while also matching a modern expectations for mm-hmm. pairings. We'll do our very best to ensure that the system has the necessary logic to apply tiebreakers to all situations as defined in our pack all of us involved have taken ownership of our mistakes and as the head of the champs events any mistakes of the individual belongs to me the buck stops here some of the cruelty i saw online in public and in private to members of my staff who are volunteers was disgusting, reprehensible, and unacceptable. If you engage in that activity, I hope you reconsider the humans on the other side of your vitriol. For those that have reached out to members of my team to offer their support following what was not an easy decision, but adamantly the right one, I am deeply appreciative. I know it made quite an impact on the persons involved. My team is human, we made a human error. We made it right to the individuals involved and are endeavoring to do better in the future. If this occurrence has irreparably harmed your trust in me and the events I run, I will understand for those that wish to stay their hand until they have evidence for improvement, I will understand. For those that know that all the activities we engaged in to correct the error and to fix the issue are a result of the characters of the persons involved and will continue on without issue, I will understand. I do sincerely hope that the steps taken as provided made a more positive experience for all the people in attendance, and I hope that you will all see an improved Adepticon 2023.
1: Brendan, thank you very, very much for that. My comment on this is that for those who were critical of this, we have a blessing of social media, but it is also a curse in many ways. You were not there. You were not on the ground. You were not ultimately responsible for the results and what happened. So until you are and until you have something other than a keyboard to provide input, you need to just back off and you need to be more circumspect before you make comments that are inappropriate and not constructive so it was a great event and lots of people had a great time i give you all the credit i can for making the statement and doing the right thing which is what should be done that's my commentary on this and I think that people are going to come back. I think they're going to look forward to this. I think they appreciate your coming back to this and making it right for everybody and credit to Adepticon that they stepped up and did what they did. And I think this in no way puts any kind of a stain or anything on the Adepticon chance because, again, so many people had a great time. So many people are going to come back and have a great time again. So,
2: I appreciate that. We made a mistake. We own it. We are the people we are when no one is watching. I'll let the statement speak for itself. That's yeah. the truth of it. Yeah. If you choose to not believe it, that's fine. <laughs> that's you. Yeah, yeah, That's on
1: you. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, I thank you, and I know many, many of our listeners thank you for all the efforts that you and the team put together to make this a great event for everybody. Just closing out Adepticon, it was just so amazing to be in those spaces and those places with so many fellow hobbyists and fellow miniatures enthusiasts. And um, it was just great to be back. I thank the Adepticon team for staying on track and keeping everything going and uh, making it a wonderful experience for everybody that was able to show up. I'm really looking forward to going back next year again. It was it was just so great, Brennan.
2: Glad you had a good time. And you? Yeah, I really enjoyed the team's events. I felt that we ran a a really good champs. Obviously, we have some improvements that can be made. Yep. And I have full confidence that, you know, we'll be able to execute on a better 2023.
1: Wonderful. All right. Well, that is Adepticon then for everybody. We hope you enjoyed that excursion going along with us for the ride. We will be back, as usual, next segment here with Scriptorium.
2: Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Scriptorium time, we have a couple of new releases. They already have gone into the damn on a queue. The first one is called Assassinorium Kingmaker. The reader is Gareth Armstrong, who is a favorite among many 40k and heresy fans. But it's about a vindicare and a Calidus assassin that are trying to stabilize and kind of influence an election on a imperial planet. But that pairing of Calidus and Vindicare sounds really interesting. So I'm looking forward to getting to that at some point in the future. Next new book is Last Ditch. It's the eighth Caiaphas Cain book. I've spoken about him many times and looking forward to this one as well. So those are the two new releases we have this week. Brendan, how about you for all your stuffs?
2: So I finished Storm of Swords. I've oh, got yeah. Feast of Crows queued up. Storm of Swords was 54 hours in length, I believe. Mm-hmm. So
1: I could listen to like five books at that time. Oh my God, good for you that you were able to stick with it that long. Holy mutt.
2: Man. Yeah, there's not really too much I'm watching right now. So it's just, okay, yeah. that's the thing of noise that uh, I yeah. have going on in the background right now. So. Sure,
1: yeah, I'm about the same. I finished Cursed City and would recommend it to anyone who is interested in the mortal realms. C.L. Werner knocked it out of the ballpark with that story and just did a great, great job. I'm still listening to The Magister and the Martyr. I'm about, I think about halfway through. I got a bunch of it knocked out, driving to and from Adepticon. And as I stated, I think I've got like four or five books in the queue now. (laughs) So I don't know. I'm going to have to get the hobby because it's the only way I'm going to get through these books. Just like you, I really, I don't think we've watched much new TV or streaming. Not Many things coming up. Otherwise, I'm back on the rower, thank goodness, and I did finish Sicario, and I'm actually watching a very old but favorite movie of mine called Big Trouble in Little China. John Carpenter was a very famous director a while ago, and it's got a very young Kurt Russell and uh, some other people in it. It's just a fun movie. I don't know that it's kid friendly, but definitely any adults who are listening, I think you would enjoy uh, "Big Trouble in Little China." You might want to give it a try. Kind of thought about doing the Batman series again, Brendan, like starting with you know the one with Michael Keaton and mm-hmm. doing all those. That may be our next step. But that's it, I guess, for us. And let's move on to our five by five questions. Okay. Brendan man, what's the choice this week?
2: I'll start. I think you've gone the last two times. Okay. A lot of Akon-focused questions here, but I'll start with uh, first for Rubicon and Vault Wars, you're taking your first ever kind of Death Star units. In my mind, a unit that constitutes, you know, approaching 50% of <laughs> your value. And I include this as the units necessary to support a specific thing. So, yeah. Dan, what's your favorite Death Star in the game?
1: We're talking about, like, god- Models, right? Is uh,
2: not necessarily. It can be god models or a combination, like a known combination, right? You know, Like a unit of six dragons. Things that require a sizable points investment to do whatever that thing is.
1: Wow. I don't really have, other than with Marathi, I don't have that much experience with a uh, like big investment in one unit because, other than Drog, I mean, I would have to then say my experience would be my drug list with my night haunt from what i've done i mean he's a quarter of my army that's something you know my list i try to take a little bit of everything and each thing has a purpose and certainly in the the night haunt list that i took to Nashcon, that was the case when i think about my soul blight list with my wolves and zombies and stuff i'm investing what you know about 600 points into wolves six or seven hundred if you count belladama so i guess that would be another thing other than that, I can't think of anything else that be a huge investment in points because I just don't put a lot of points into any one thing, at least not yet. In the future, there may be that, but
2: <laughs> not Good. yet. In the Gibbering Dome, mm. uh, use Path to Glory this year. Which do you prefer, the Path to Glory or the previous narrative format, this construction that they had used?
1: I like this. I like the current one because. I think it's easier to understand when you can go into War Builder and say, you know, I need a thousand points. There are some restrictions. You know, you can only take a certain number of heroes. You can only take a certain number of monsters and those kind of things. But those restrictions are similar to the ones you get on the competitive side. You know, you have to take three battle line. You have to take this. And there's certain restrictions. So I like the fact that you can still use something like War Scroll Builder and you still have that. Parameter to keep you in line. It's much easier, I think, to put together, much easier to understand with all the other stuff that you've got to do with Path to Glory, like picking territories and artifacts and quests and all these other things. It makes it a little easier to kind of buy in in terms of, you know, mental investment. I prefer the newer way, for sure.
2: Okay. What AOS team would you take with you into the pit? So using the kind of same, you know... (laughs) Obviously, it's translating, you know, one system into another, but, you know, like, if you had to take a Age of Sigmar team with you into the pit, what team would you be taking? Ooh. And you can use just kind of broad strokes on the kinds of models or...
1: Yeah, I mean, it could be like an Underworld's Warband kind of a thing, I guess. Sure. I would take a Bladegeist Revenant, just because he's so freaking cool. Models are amazing. I would take, like, a Necromancer. I would take... I'm trying to think of four that I would take. Man, that's a hard question. That's really tough. I'm just trying to think of reasonable units because you can't take, like, big smashy things into the pit. So, Blagelyce, the Necromancer. I might take, like, a Dreadscythe. That would be kind of fun. A Dreadscythe Herodon. That'd be kind of uh, neat. And then, how about a little character? A little night Nighthaunt character. A Guardian would be really cool to take. Yeah, that'd be neat. So, I don't know how the mechanic would work of raising the dead from the bloody pub floor, but... <laughs>
2: Yeah, but having a necromancer for that kind of situation yeah. certainly wouldn't be a bad thing to no,
1: have. No, not at all. That would be my team then, I guess. Yeah, four figs.
2: All right. You have put a event request in to Adepticon. <laughs> you are going to run a game or event or a class. What would be the game, event, or class that you would be hosting and running? And it can't be Youngbloods.
1: I've kind of thought about it would be fun to run a narrative event, but they already do that. I don't know. I'd have to think of one of the board games that I really like. You know what would be fun? would be Galaxy Trucker. Okay. That board game is just so insanely cool. If I could have like three different Group, so you could have probably like 12 people playing at a time or something like that i think that would be really fun to watch people playing it and to teach it and stuff because i can remember at school when i had my board game club you know i always let them ask for at least one game we wanted to play and that was a big favorite the kids just love that game and it's just so silly and sometimes random but it's yeah so galaxy truckers for sure
2: all right my last question March Madness has almost come to an end here. here national championship game is tomorrow. Who you got, Kansas or North Carolina? Okay,
1: this is like the milkshake question last time. I got that
2: question too. I will remind the listeners that we did very well in our prediction of the college football (laughs) national championship. Yeah, right. So watch out. Nostradamus over
1: here. Yeah, you know it's harder to tell. I think because the Kansas game was such a runaway, really. I mean, last night and the North Carolina game was so close the whole, almost the whole way. I mean, it was tight. I think Kansas can beat North Carolina though. Of course. Just watching them and in terms of their play, you know, they're they're so consistently good. I think they're gonna take it. I hope they do. That'd be cool. Okay, so that's my five from you, right? I think that's five? Yeah. I'm going to switch it around, and I'm going to ask you that question because it's on my list. Who do you think is going to take the national championship?
2: I'll take the counterpose. I'll take North Carolina. They are built for the modern game of basketball, and it really shows.
1: Okay, coolio. They certainly have a couple of NBA players sitting there, for sure.
2: A lot very good shooting guards on North Carolina. Yeah.
1: Two of the new units that we've seen in the box for arena of shades crossbows or banshees if you're going to invest the 80 90 points in one of those units which are you going to take
2: crossbow are 90 points i think
1: they're like 90 or 95 points 85 points yeah oh, okay for five of them
2: oh gotcha yeah uh, see and that's
1: one of the other issues is they're not at least we didn't see at their battle line so the most you can ever up them to is a unit of 10
2: that's a good point like that's a good price point for them the spell eating buff from the banshees i think is pretty sizable the game right now isn't like heavy mortal wound magic damage but Mm -hmm. having that deterrence really eats up a couple of matchups for you which is nice
1: right if you don't have somebody who's casting an insane number of spells if you can dispel or negate just one or two spells you've just killed all their magic in that army that's true all right so you have to fight with your team's list that you took, you have to fight either a Flesh Eater Quartz or an OBR list. Which are you going to want to see across from you on the table?
2: Oh, give me the Flesh Eater Quartz list.
1: Okay. All right.
2: Yeah. The damage output that my list has is pretty high.
1: Easily enough to overcome that.
2: Yeah. And then having Manfred makes life just a little bit easier. Oh, sure.
1: Okay. All right. Now, here's a hobby question. I think I know the answer because I know what's sitting on your table, but would you prefer... I think you've used a few of them. Dropper bottles or pots for paint?
2: I have only had bad experiences with the dropper bottles. The scale oh. 75s I have have a tendency to explode. Oh my
0: God, really?
2: Sometimes, because like, I try and clear the passage for it, and then like sometimes <laughs> it just doesn't, and then the top just comes off.
1: Man. You're using the wrong <laughs> stuff, man. <laughs> man, I never heard of that. That's crazy.
2: Very exciting. <laughs> my pots have never wronged me. I have never had to clean up my entire desk from an exploded, you know, oh, yeah. paint. So yeah. I will embrace the old ways. Okay. Reject modernity. Embrace tradition.
1: It's funny that you said that about spilling because I've had a couple of experiences where I've tipped pots over and the paint has gone everywhere. I've never had that problem with Army Painter, you know, bottles, dropper bottles. Now, when you went to clear those uh, Scale 75, did you just use, like, a paper clip and just push it into the opening and...
2: Yeah, push it down, push it through, and wipe the sides.
1: That's really weird. Man, that's so strange.
2: I am not enthused.
1: (laughs) No, I can understand that. All right, so the last question is, we still got a ways to go in the season, but I'm looking at the NBA standings right now, and nobody's touching Phoenix. I mean, that's insane.
2: Locked that up like a week and a half ago.
1: They're playing like 800 ball or something. It's crazy. If you had to choose who's going to go farther in the playoffs now, would it be the Sixers or the Bucks?
2: Oh, the Bucks. They're really close. The difference is that with the Sixers, you have two players. You have Joel Embiid and you have James Harden. Okay. And they fundamentally require different kinds of defenders to deal with them. Mm. Unfortunately, in the East, every team already has a player in which they would assign a Joel Embiid-type character because they are using that same player to try and assign to a... Giannis type player okay. or a Kevin Durant type of player. Okay. Every team already has a defender who can guard a James Harden type character. Okay. They already have that kind of player to defend a Kyrie Irving style player or a Drew Holiday style player. The things that the Sixers do not have is a third player to force the issue. Players that you already have on your team as assigned into those kinds of roles are already doing their thing and they traded away their supporting cast to the Nets who would kind of help break that stalemate. The Bucks have three players. They have four players offensively, if you want to get like really specific with Brooke Lopez and Drew Holiday. Right,
1: Lopez, yep.
2: Where you're not going to be able to apply that same kind of defensive strategy. It's not a thing, and Giannis is in contention for the scoring leader, so you know his points are borderline automatic. That's fair. That's how I feel about that.
1: Coolio, yeah. well, that's it for me. That's it for you. And we're moving on to show close there is something going on around here something you may not even know about all right it's show close time and one thing that we just wanted to get back to you on was we had some discussion earlier when we were talking about arena of shades and we weren't sure about the chain gas and the spirit torment and just to confirm the spirit torment has no buff on his new war scroll in terms of hits or rerolls or anything else the Chain Gas, however, do have an add one to hit roll on their buff. We just wanted to clarify that and and get that straightened out. So that's the deal with those. Brendan, how about Sunday announcements before we close out?
2: 40k fans, Tyranid (laughs) Codex, very exciting. That's up for pre-order. For Age of Sigmar people, the Season of War Thondia is going up for pre-order on Saturday. So potentially another book for us to add to some level of review. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, some made to order classic Space Marine Captains.
1: Ooh, so much excitement. Cool. All right. Well, there you go. And next time, we're going to dive into the deepest oceans and talk about the Soul Stealers, also known as Idnath Deepkin.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Good to have another tome in the pocket. We can just jump right into that in a couple weeks. So, yeah, thank you, listeners. And Brendan, thank you for being here as always. Thank you for that very thoughtful. Statement that you made. We really appreciate that clarification. And uh, otherwise, you all stay safe, stay healthy, and we will see you all next time around.
0: Bye. This is the end.